This is Alan Seaborn from Winning at Home. Welcome to In Progress, a podcast about faith, life, and how we grow. In this episode, I want to share a passage of scripture that really was kind of re-highlighted for me. I spoke at a camp this past summer, and the camp was really geared toward uh, helping to talk about the heart of God our Father. And I have a feeling that when you hear that, we all have connections and we have ideas that pop into our head. We've all got things in our mind when we think about God being our Father. And a lot of those ideas come based on our experience with our fathers here, our earthly fathers. And so for some of us, and I'm in this group, we grew up with good fathers. Uh, It doesn't mean perfect, and it doesn't mean that there was nothing that we think back on now as adults and go, wow, that really caused a lot more of deep hurt than I realized in the moment or even in the years or decades that followed. For many of us, we have overall a pretty good impression of what it means for God to be a father because our earthly fathers had such positive influence in our lives. But for others of us, our relationship with our earthly father wasn't a positive one. Um, Maybe our earthly fathers were demeaning to us. They were belittling. They were physically abusive. They were standoffish. They were men who no matter what you did, you felt like they were never going to be pleased. They were never going to be proud. And, you know, I'm always surprised by how many people that I hear talk about why they're pursuing what they're pursuing in life or why they're passionate about what they're passionate about. And when they share, I just really want to make my parents proud. I really want my dad or my mom or both to finally see that I've accomplished something. And for many listening, um, that's kind of your perspective on what a father is. It's this person who kind of stands off in the background and Um, maybe not hoping that you don't succeed, but really not going to be impressed with who you are as a person until you've racked up X, Y, and Z accomplishments. And then for others listening, uh, you may not have known your earthly father at all, Uh, whether that's because the relationship between them and your mom didn't last or because Uh, your earthly father passed away before you have any memories of him. There are people that are growing up saying, I I don't know a whole lot or anything about my father here on earth. And so to think about God as a father is kind of a disorienting idea for many of us because it comes with all this baggage and it comes with all these expectations and all this hurt that we've accumulated over the years and what experience has taught us to be wary of a father or has taught us to question the father's motives or has taught us to think, well, fathers are really geared toward punishing 
rather than loving and nurturing and caring for their children. And so knowing that we all carry into this idea of God as our father, all these ideas that we've experienced in our past ourselves, I want to read because this is Jesus in Luke chapter 15. Um, He is being challenged by some of the religious leaders of the day because he's been reaching out to, eating, spending time with people who they classified as not worthy of Jesus' time. They said, why, why is he spending so much time hanging out with these sinners, these broken people, these less than people? And in response to that, Jesus tells three stories in Luke chapter 15. Uh, He tells a story of the lost sheep. He says, I want you to imagine that one of you had a hundred sheep and one of them wandered off. You wouldn't just say, oh, well, I guess I'm one short now. Uh, You'd leave your flock of the 99 remaining sheep and you'd go out and you'd find the lost sheep. And then he said, you know, imagine that there was someone who had 10 coins and she misplaced one of them somewhere in her house. What she's going to do is she's going to look everywhere. She's going to scour. She's going to clean. She's going to lift up everything she could find that it might be under. And when she finds this missing 10th coin, she's going to celebrate. And after Jesus tells about this lost sheep, and this lost coin. He then tells a story in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11, the parable, the story of the lost son. And you might know it more commonly by uh, the parable of the prodigal son. And so Jesus tells this story of a man who has two sons, and the younger one comes to his father And he says, Father, give me my share of the estate. So you remember last episode, we talked about uh, Jacob and Esau, and we talked about inheritance and how that all worked in the ancient world. But you also might remember that that inheritance happened after the father died. Well, what Jesus is telling here is a story where the son goes to his father and he says, hey, dad, I I want what's going to be coming to me eventually when you die. So it's almost like he's saying, you have more value to me, dad, dead than alive because I'm just kind of in this relationship for your stuff and I want to get what's coming to me uh, even if it means you're not part of my life anymore. I I just want to get what's mine. And so the father, he divides the property up. He gives his youngest son his inheritance. And we know that wouldn't have been uh, the, the firstborn inheritance, but he would have gotten, you know, probably a third of the father's property. And he went off. And Jesus tells us that He took everything that he had. He went off to some distant place and he wasted his money. He partied. He lived it up. 
Scripture tells us he squandered his wealth in wild living. And then when he got to the end of his money, there was a severe famine in that whole place where he was living. And so a guy who's just run out of money all of a sudden is in a place that's really hurting too. Everyone's trying to find food. Everyone's doing whatever they can to kind of tighten up the belts and make it work during this, essentially, for the way that it would make sense to us, this recession. You know, all of a sudden, food is a lot harder to come by, and it's a whole lot more scarce. And so he needs to do something. He's getting desperate. He goes and he finds someone who's going to hire him to work in his fields to feed pigs. And what Jesus is doing here is he's telling this story of someone who has reached kind of the lowest of the low point um, for, especially for his Jewish audience to be involved with pigs. Pigs are unclean animals. And so for this guy that his job is now to take care of and to feed pigs, he's surrounded by this uncleanness and it's just, it's awful. He's at a low, low, low point. But then Jesus says this younger son, uh, he was so hungry and so desperate. He was longing to even eat the food that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. And then Jesus tells this beautiful part of the story of the, the lost son, the prodigal son in Luke 15, starting in verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. I want to push pause here for a moment because I'm guessing that we've all been in this type of situation, not the exact circumstances, but this moment where we're going back and we're facing somebody that we've hurt, that we've wronged, that we've done damage to. And as we're heading toward this moment of needing to apologize, I'm guessing that I'm not the only one who does this. We kind of rehearse in our heads how the apology is going to go, right? And so we start working it through. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but usually my first few versions of the apology, uh, they're kind of like, hey, you know, I wish things didn't go that way, but you don't realize and start to explain, start to justify, start to get in there and kind of undercut a little bit of my apology, right? And in our heads, when we practice, we go, wait, no, no, don't do that. Don't say that. Just say sorry, because that misses the whole point of what I'm trying to get at. And so you can imagine that this son is rehearsing and he's coming up with, okay, what am I going to say? And he lands on, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. 
And he's rehearsing over and over. You can imagine, right? So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So he's going through his script. But the father cut him off. The father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. That's a pretty special ending to a story that spent a lot of time looking like it was going to go a whole different way. And, you know, if we've been in the church, we've grown up around it, you're familiar with this story. But I want to highlight something that I think really gets at God's heart. Because when Jesus tells parables, he's using a story that would have made sense to the audience that he was talking to about earthly stuff that painted a picture of what God was like, of what things are like in the heavenly realm. And who knew God better than Jesus, right? So when Jesus tells this story and the father, who at the beginning is disrespected and is treated as basically an ATM, no value to the relationship, just value to what I can get out of the relationship. Um, Jesus tells this story about a God who, instead of when his son comes back to him and says, I'm not even worthy to be your son anymore. I messed up. I'm so sorry. I Just can you please hire me like as one of your workers, one of your servants, That's all I'm good for. That when the son comes and says that, the father in the story, who Jesus is using to help us understand what God our father is like, when his son is starting to come back home, while he's still a long way off, scripture tells us, his father saw him, and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now, that's not the way that people in Jesus' original audience would have been expecting that story to go. They were probably sitting there thinking, oh man, this son messed up bad, and it's going to be really nice when he gets what's coming to him. Right? That's kind of how we're wired to think that way. Like, hey, this is the expectation. These are the rules of the way that the game is played. I'm not saying a game to trivialize life or relationships, but that's how we think. And if somebody else breaks the rules, the rules that I, by the way, haven't been breaking, uh, I expect that they're going to face really harsh and swift punishment. But instead... This father, while his son is still a long way off, he saw him, he was filled with compassion for him, 
and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now there's a couple things in here that would have been especially unexpected to Jesus' audience. The first is that this father is running, uh, which to us, we're like, okay, kind of breeze right through that. But in their culture, that would have been a really undignified thing for the father to do. Uh, People who were wealthy, people who had means, they didn't run. That was a servant's job. That was hey, you guys do the work. I'm the one back here that's kind of running things and I'm in charge. I'm not doing that. And in order to run, you know, we picture pretty accurately what people in this ancient world would have been wearing, those robes, those kind of toga-looking things, you know, with a little sash around uh, maybe. And so to run in that, it's likely that this father would have had to reach down around his feet and grab up the robe and kind of lift it up to his knees or above or whatever to kind of create a little like makeshift shorts kind of thing so that he could run. And that would have been really undignified too, to be lifting up, showing his legs. It's just not the picture that Jesus paints here is this father doing some really unexpected things. But that's not the full picture. Um, I came across this idea really recently. Earlier this year, I spoke at an event uh, out in, I think it was Pennsylvania, or yeah, I think Pennsylvania. Um, And I spoke there with a pastor. His name was Pierre Ede. And Pierre wrote a book called Our Good Father. And it's all about seeing God through the eyes of Jesus. And he talks about the story of the prodigal son, the story of the lost son. It's the first time I ever came across this idea, but there was a particular thing that would have happened in Jesus' day if a Jewish young person or a Jewish not the oldest person in the family had gone out and they wasted their money amongst Gentiles. And then they try to come back and be part of their original family and community again. What would happen? They would perform this ceremony. I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but ceremony called a kazaza. And what they would do in the ceremony is the elders of the community. They would gather together and meet this returning, disgraced, son who had wasted his inheritance or his money or whatever, they would meet him at the entrance to the city and they would take a a clay pot, they would smash it on the ground in front of this person and they would yell out, you are cut off from your people. And what this ceremony did um, was symbolize that you've done something that there's no coming back from. And they would be cut off in a way that meant uh, broken relationships with family, an inability to uh, gather together and worship God the way that they had grown up doing and the way that they maybe now had seen 
the significance in and wanted to come back and be a part of that, but they were cut off from their family. And so maybe what the father was doing in this story is seeing the son before he can get to where these elders would see what's going on and come out and perform this ceremony that cuts him off from his people, the father is willing to run out ahead of that and go grab his son before any of that can happen and say, no, 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 this is my child. He's part of the family. He's, he's not cut off. He messed up, but he's back now. He was dead, but he's alive again. And another thing is in this ceremony, uh, usually the father would be expected to stay home and kind of show, okay, I'm just sort of emotionally detached from what's going on here. My son was the one that messed up. Now, you know, he made his bed. Now he's got to lie in it, essentially. The mother could go to the ceremony and plead for mercy on behalf of her child, but the dad was expected to just like, Hey, you messed up. We'll see what happens. And so Jesus is telling this story of a father who does a whole bunch of unexpected things. He not only runs, he not only uh, makes himself look what they would have considered to be foolish or weak or whatever. He's willing to do that to get back in relationship with his son but he's also willing to run out there and instead of allowing what quote-unquote should have happened next to happen, he intervenes and he breaks in and he says, no, 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 this is my son. I love this guy. He was gone for a while, but he's back. He's alive now. And when Jesus tells this story, of the lost son, the prodigal son, who goes off and he makes a bunch of bad decisions. We can all relate on some level, can't we? Maybe we didn't actually do that. Maybe we didn't, you know, spend a year of our life or whatever living wild. But we all know what it feels like to have made a mistake and to be rehearsing that apology on our way back. And whether that's on our literal way back as we come back to someone that we've hurt in our lives, or if it's a figurative thing as we're making our journey back toward God and we're saying, God, I, I know that I've messed up. I know that I've left pain and hurt in my wake when I did what I wanted to do instead of what you have called me to be all about. Um, and what we see here is a picture of what God as our Father is like. He's running out to grab us and meet us and say, you know what? Yeah, there were mistakes. You messed up. But you're my child. You were lost and now you're found. Let's celebrate. And I, I love that picture of God because, like I said at the beginning, many of us, when we think of what it means for God to be a father, 
we have this picture of someone who's severe, someone who's not going to really be involved, and someone who's definitely not going to stick their necks out for us. But this picture that Jesus paints is pretty much exactly the opposite of that. It's a father who says, what I value most is relationship with you. And when we think of what it means for God to be our father, we can understand that Jesus is telling us that our father, our God, is so full of grace and mercy and forgiveness and love that we're going to feel unworthy at times. I love that he has the younger son saying this as he's returning. I'm not even worthy to be called your son, but would you hire me? Can I be like one of your hired servants? That's how we feel sometimes, isn't it? When we've made a mistake that we knew, man, that, ugh, I can't believe I did that, or I can't believe I did that again. I can't believe I didn't think of how that was going to hurt people or relationships or whatever. I'm not even worthy, God, to be called your son or your daughter. And the way that Jesus paints this picture of what God is like as our father is a father who's running to wrap us up, not running to punish, not running to rub our face in the mistakes that we've made, not running to make sure that we get what's coming to us, but a God that's running to us, a Father who's inviting us home and wrapping us up and saying, I love you so much. When I think about that being what our Heavenly Father is like, it's, it's honestly really almost unbelievable. Even as I'm talking about this, as I read through this parable, I'm like, man, that it just sounds almost too good to be true, doesn't it? I'm like, man, am I overstating this? Am I saying something that's not realistic about who God is? Um, but this is what Jesus tells us that our heavenly Father is like. It's an incredible thing. And we get to be sons and daughters of our Father in heaven who loves us this much. He does the unexpected. He does what would have in that culture been undignified and not at all what anyone would have guessed he would do. But this Father, our Father in heaven, does what it takes to get back in relationship with us. Even when we've walked away, even when we've said, nah, I, I think I've got a better plan. I think I'm coming to you, God, uh, not for you, but for the stuff I get from you. Even when that happens, when we come back to him, when we say, God, I, I, I made a mistake. He's ready to greet us, not with judgment, not with a reminder of how messed up we are, with love and mercy. And I love what Jesus says. He was filled with compassion for his son. That right there 
is the kind of heavenly father that we have.